Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the Infectious Diseases Society of America's 47th annual meeting. The meeting took place in Philadelphia October 29th to November 1st. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. This year's meeting of the Infectious Diseases Society of America attracted nearly 5,000 attendees from more than 70 different countries. According to Program Chair Dr. Paul G. Awerter of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, the subject of pandemic influenza took the forefront at the meeting. A special plenary session featured Dr. Paul Offit, Chief of Infectious Diseases at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, on the topic of understanding the vaccine movement. Themes throughout the meeting included the epidemiology of the H1N1 epidemic and reinforcing that the vaccine produces good antibody responses and appears safe. Pregnant women as a group are one of the least immunized against the seasonal flu. About 17% of pregnant women get the flu vaccine. One study presented at the meeting suggests that immunizing pregnant women may reduce the risk of premature or low birth weight babies. Researchers at Emory University in Atlanta analyzed data on over 6,000 births in the state of Georgia between June 2004 and September 2006. 15% of the mothers had received a flu shot during pregnancy. During the highest periods of flu activity in the region, women who were vaccinated were 72% less likely to have a premature baby than those who did not receive the vaccine. And women who were not vaccinated were 69% more likely to give birth to a low birth weight baby. During lower levels of flu activity, vaccinated women were 56% less likely to give birth prematurely. The study was supported in part by research grants from Wyeth and Sanofi. A second study conducted at Yale University School of Medicine found that flu shots given during pregnancy were nearly 79% effective in preventing infants born to vaccinated mothers from being hospitalized during the first year of life. The vaccine was also about 85% effective in preventing babies' hospitalization from infancy to six months. These results may prove to be cost-effective, with two individuals receiving benefit from one vaccine. Other important flu studies showed that the H1N1 virus can spread from person to person despite prior treatment with the antiviral Oseltamivir, and that virus shedding can continue for up to 13 days. In one study, investigators at the North Carolina Division of Public Health Communicable Disease Branch in Raleigh, North Carolina, reported on a 2009 outbreak at a summer camp in North Carolina. 65 campers and staff members contracted H1N1. Two cases developed among female campers who had initiated oseltamivir therapy, one of whom transmitted the virus to her cabin mate. Both cases appeared to be related to viral mutations that were apparently drug-resistant, based on the timing of the illnesses and two genetic mutations found in the virus in both campers. According to investigators, these were the first cases of oseltamivir-resistant virus reported in otherwise healthy individuals, and the first which appeared to have spread from one person to another. The researchers say this suggests that using oseltamivir to prevent influenza in healthy people may increase the risk of resistance, and note that if resistance were to become widespread, oseltamivir would no longer be effective. Another team of researchers from the Pennsylvania Department of Health in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, evaluated H1N1 contagiousness after the onset of fever in order to gather data that would be helpful in developing guidelines for when patients should return to school or work. Researchers identified 26 children who had contracted H1N1 during an outbreak at an elementary school. 
The children were tested every 48 hours to confirm the presence of the virus until they had two non-positive tests in a row. They found that the median duration of shedding was six days, but ranged up to a maximum of 13 days. The researchers concluded this data may be useful in developing possible guidelines for how long students should be kept at home before returning to school. Other key research presented at the meeting suggested that patients taking statins may develop less severe influenza infections. In order to investigate growing evidence that statins have anti-inflammatory and immune-modulatory effects that could reduce the risk of mortality from severe influenza infections, researchers at the Oregon Public Health Division in Portland identified almost 4,000 influenza-associated hospitalizations. 26% of the patients received statins. Patients who received statins were more likely to be older, male, white, and Asian, and to have underlying health conditions such as cardiovascular disease and to have been vaccinated against influenza that season. While age and cardiovascular disease were associated with increased mortality risk, administering statins seemed to have a significantly protective effect. The authors note that this is a preliminary finding that will require further study. They say that a variety of plausible hypotheses could explain why statins may modulate some of the immune responses to the virus. Several abstracts addressed the issue of antibiotic resistance. Among them was a study on multidrug-resistant Acinetobacter baumoni, conducted by researchers from the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. They found that risk factors associated with infection or colonization included longer length of hospital stay, admission from a long-term care facility, and prior antibiotic use. The author said that enhanced infection control measures can decrease hospital acquisition. An expansion of these measures to patients at risk for community-onset healthcare-associated infections may further decrease cross-transmission of multidrug-resistant Acinetobacter baumani in the hospital. A co-author of the study reported financial relationships with various pharmaceutical companies. Research conducted at a large tertiary children's hospital looked at healthcare workers' attitudes toward influenza immunization and vaccine receipt and found that physicians appear more likely to support a mandatory vaccination policy than other healthcare workers. Researchers at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, and colleagues sent surveys to almost 950 doctors, nurses, and hospital employees. 574 workers responded. The researchers found that physicians were more likely than nurses and other employees to consider themselves at high risk for influenza infection and believed that vaccination was safe and effective for both adults and children. They also found that almost 75% of physicians supported mandatory immunization of healthcare workers compared to less than 50% of nurses and other employees. In addition, there were significant gaps in knowledge regarding vaccination. Investigators found that some employees mistakenly believed the vaccine could cause influenza and that influenza was only contagious in symptomatic patients. Research was presented suggesting that among heterosexual minorities in the South with HIV, gender is the strongest factor associated with late diagnosis. Researchers at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill and colleagues studied over 200 African-American patients between ages 18 and 61 who were diagnosed with HIV between 1997 and 2000. All patients had denied male same-sex activity or injection drug use. At the time of diagnosis, the researchers found that 31% of subjects had a CD4-positive cell count of less than 200 cells per microliter. After adjusting for several factors, the researchers showed that a low CD4-positive cell count was significantly associated with male gender and unemployment. 
the investigators found no association between a low CD4 positive cell count and socioeconomic status or insurance status. The authors conclude that gender was the only variable strongly associated with late diagnosis. And according to the authors, this lack of identifiable risk factors supports the policy of universal testing, particularly among heterosexual minorities in the South. According to research conducted by investigators at the Infectious Disease Clinical Research Program in Bethesda, Maryland, obesity may have a negative impact on CD4 cell counts in HIV-positive patients. Researchers studied over 1,000 HIV seroconverters who were documented in a 1986-2008 to prospective natural history study. At the time of diagnosis, 39% were overweight and 9% were obese. The researchers found that mean CD4 cell counts at diagnosis were 526 for underweight patients, 551 for normal patients, 542 for overweight patients, and 499 for obese patients. Results were similar during the active antiretroviral treatment, or HART, and pre-HART eras. But in contrast to the pre-HART era, researchers found that in the HART era, obesity was associated with less beneficial changes in post-diagnosis mean CD4 counts, compared to normal weight and overweight. Obese patients had significantly smaller increases in CD4 cell count than patients of normal weight. The authors conclude that although higher body mass index was associated with lower rates of reduction in CD4 counts over time during the pre-HART era, excessive weight was not similarly associated with benefit during the HART era. Being either underweight or obese in the HART era was associated with smaller CD4 count rises. Authors say that these data suggest that lower CD4 counts may be another adverse consequence of obesity. Researchers from Cardinal Health in Marlboro, Massachusetts, and colleagues studied the epidemiology of Clostridium difficile, or C. diff, across 88 U.S. hospitals between 2007 and 2008. In hospitalized patients, approximately 10% of C. diff infections are recurrent. Researchers say smaller hospitals are potentially more impacted than mid- to large-size hospitals. Investigators identified over 11,000 cases of C. diff in almost 10,000 patients. These cases included more than 8,000 single initial cases, 250 double initial cases, 600 single initial and single recurrent cases, and 184 multiple cases. They found C. diff incidence per 10,000 inpatient days was 12.5 for initial and 1.1 for recurrent cases. C. diff incidence density was higher in small hospitals with fewer than 100 beds than in mid-sized hospitals with up to 300 beds or in large hospitals with more than 300 beds. Researchers concluded that nearly 10% of C. diff cases in the hospital were recurrent, and 10% of C. diff patients had multiple cases over an 18-month period. Following the surveillance time frame for recurrent C. diff, many patients remained at risk. Several of this study's authors reported financial and consulting relationships with pharmaceutical companies. Another study looked at the rate of antimicrobial use in C. diff infection in a tertiary care hospital after the hospital implemented an electronic medical record system with a computerized physician order entry. Researchers analyzed the periods before and after electronic medical record systems were introduced. They found that overall antimicrobial use declined by 18% and rates of C. diff infection declined by about 26% after implementation of EMR. 
The authors note that the Infectious Diseases Society of America recommends the use of an electronic medical record system and computerized physician order entry with clinical decision support as a means of promoting judicious antimicrobial use. A number of awards were presented during the conference, including the Alexander Fleming Award for Lifetime Achievement and the Oswald Avery Award for Early Achievement. Dr. Arnold S. Monto was presented with the Society's Lifetime Achievement Award for his work on the pathogenesis, treatment, and prevention of influenza virus infections. Dr. Monto's work is the gold standard today for dealing with influenza outbreaks. He serves on various advisory groups to Health and Human Services and is a member of the World Health Organization's Emergency Committee, which advises the Director General on influenza pandemic declaration. He has also worked with the Chinese government in responding to SARS and the avian flu. The Society's Award for Early Achievement for Society Fellows age 45 and younger was presented to Dr. Jean-Laurent Casanova. Dr. Casanova is recognized for his work in the discovery, development, and scientific and clinical understanding in the field of innate immunity. His research has fundamentally changed medicine's understanding of the genetics involved in the predisposition and susceptibility to pediatric infectious diseases. Dr. Casanova has demonstrated evidence that single genetic mutations can cause susceptibility or resistance to a specific infectious agent, rather than one gene providing susceptibility to multiple infections. Dr. Casanova is professor of genetics and runs the Laboratory of Human Genetics of Infectious Diseases at the Rockefeller University in New York. The Society Citation Award is a discretionary award the Society gives for exemplary contribution to the Infectious Diseases Society, an outstanding discovery in the field of infectious diseases, or a lifetime of achievement in research, clinical investigation, or practice. This year's Citation Award was presented to tropical medicine and AIDS researcher Dr. Warren D. Johnson for his contributions to the field of infectious diseases and global health. Among other groundbreaking work in the 1980s, Dr. Johnson helped reduce infant mortality from diarrheal disease in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Dr. Johnson has done pivotal research on the epidemiology of AIDS, tuberculosis, and enteric coccidia in Haiti. And Dr. Johnson's research and work with the Haitian government has reduced the prevalence of HIV infection in Haiti from 6 to 3 percent. Dr. Johnson is the B.H. Keene Professor of Tropical Medicine and Director of the Center for Global Health at Weill Medical College of Cornell University in New York. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from the Infectious Diseases Society of America's 47th Annual Meeting. The meeting took place in Philadelphia October 29th to November 1st. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com, and powered by Health Day.